Greetings, church. Uh, today's word will be taken from the book of Genesis, chapter 37, verse 1 to 32. Jacob lived in the land of his father's sojournings, in the land of Canaan. These are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years of age, was pasturing the flock of his brothers. He was a boy with the sons of Bilhah and Zilpha, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a, brought a bad report of them to their father. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his sons, because he was a son of his old age. And he made him a robe of, so, of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. Now Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers... They hated him even more. He said to them, Hear this dream that I have dreamt. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright. And behold, your, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. His brother said to him, Are you indeed to reign over us, or are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dream, and for his words. Then he dreamt another dream and told it to his brothers and said, Behold, I have dreamt another dream. Behold, the sun, the moon, and seven and eleven stars were bowing down to me. But when he told it to his father, when he told it to his father and he, to his brothers, his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream you have dreamt? Shall I, your mother, and your brothers indeed come to bow ourselves to, sorry, <laughs> shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come and bow ourselves to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the saying in mind. Now his brothers went to pasture their father's flock near Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, are not your brothers pasturing the flock at Shechem? Come, I will send you to them. And he said to him, Here I am. So he said to him, Go now, see if it is well with your brothers and with the flock, and bring the word. He sent him, so he sent him from the valley of Hebron, and he came to Shechem. Shechem. Um, and a man found him wandering the fields. And the man asked, What are you seeking? I am seeking my brothers. He said, tell me, please, where are they pasturing the flock? And the men said, they have gone away, for I heard them say, let's go to Dotham. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them at Dotham. They saw him from afar, and before he came near to them, they conspired against, to, against him to kill him. They said to one another, here comes this dreamer. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. Then we will say to the we will say that the fierce animals have devoured him, and we will see what will become of these dreams. But when Reuben had it, he he rescued him out of their hands, saying, Let us not take his life. And Reuben said to them, Shed no blood, throw him into the pit in the wilderness, but do not lay a hand on him. That he, might, uh, that he might rescue him out of their hands to restore him to his father. 
So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe and the, uh, the robe of many colors that he wore. And they took him and threw him into the pit. The pit was empty. There was no water in it. Then they sat down to eat. And looking up, they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. With their camels bringing gum, balm, myrrh, and on their way to carry it down to Egypt. Then Judah said to his brothers, What profit is it if we kill our brother and conceal his, his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and, not, and let not our hands be upon him, for he, for he is our brother, he is our brother, our own flesh. And his brothers listened to him. Then, then Medanite traders passed by. They drew Joseph up and lifted him out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels, for 20 shekels of silver. They took Joseph to Egypt. When Reuben returned to the pit and saw that Joseph was not in the pit, he tore his clothes and returned to his brother and said, The boy is gone, and I... Where shall I go? Then Joseph took Joseph, then they took Joseph's robe and slaughtered a goat and dipped the robe in blood. And they sent the robe of many colors they, and brought it to their father and said, This we have found. Please identify whether it is your son's robe or not. This is the word of God. Father, as always, we come to you unworthy. Uh, We come to you in desperate need of hearing you speak. We only come to you presuming on the righteousness of Christ and in the power of his spirit. So please, will you have mercy on us, Lord? Please, will you meet with us? Please, will you comfort and challenge and change us? For your glory. Amen. I don't know how you get your news. Um, Maybe it's News 24. Maybe it's Facebook. Maybe you're old school and it's print media. I've just downloaded the Soweto Live app. It's really quite cool. Um, So it doesn't really matter how you get it. Uh, If your experience is anything like mine, there are some days when you want nothing to do with it. You ever feel like that? When the news is just too much to take in. It's just too much. Think about last year. right? So let's just reflect on last year. Never mind what's happened this year. Calendar year 2018. This is some of, some of what we had to deal with. The rand started the year at 12.45 and reached 15.60 at its lowest. The JSC lost 16% of its value. It was the lowest return in 10 years. During that time, we had three finance ministers uh, in what should probably be the most stable job in government. Between January and October, the fuel price, this is one we'll all have felt, rose by 20%. And what all of those numbers meant in the lives of ordinary people is that jobs were lost and household incomes shrank. Vulnerable households became poorer. And then when you have this high level of corruption in government and corporate surfacing through things like the Zondo Commission, uh, the Steinhoff scandal, it just adds insult to injury. Two billion rand was stolen from VBS Bank 
by the people who were supposed to protect those deposits. And we're talking about pensioners' deposits. We're talking about poor municipalities' deposits, stolen by the directors, the auditors, well-connected politicians. All that's at the level of uh, corporate and government, so kind of playing out above our heads. But in 2018, we saw a similar sort of strife playing out in our communities and in our families. Sandile Manswe, who claims to be a pastor and an evangelist, was convicted of murdering his girlfriend, Karabo Mokwena. He beat her, he killed her, he burnt her body. 23-year-old Henry van Breda was convicted for murdering his parents, his brother Rudy, and then attempting to murder his sister Marley, his 20-year-old sister Marley, all of it with an axe. Mortimer Sanders was convicted of murdering three-year-old Courtney Peters. I could go on. Uh, but it's all quite macabre. And to be honest with you, I've actually spared you some of the gory details. That was the chaos that was 2018, just some of it. I haven't even mentioned Donald Trump. <laughs> I also haven't mentioned your life or my life. On top of everything happening out there, on News 24, above our heads in some way. Perhaps some of this was playing out in your life. Separation, divorce, failed exams, no money for fees, custody battle, joblessness, cancer, learning disabilities, a racist colleague, a sexist boss, an abusive boyfriend or girlfriend, or what about your own personal struggles with alcohol addiction or same-sex attraction or greed, pride, anger? With all the mess out there and all the mess in here, with all the stuff going on in our lives, we can often be left wondering, what is the point? What's the purpose of it all? Where's the meaning? I mean, has the world just spun out of control? Am I just the victim of cold, random chance? Is it just all meaningless? Well, we can thank God for speaking to us through his word. Because the Bible answers all the big questions, and it answers this one. The Bible gives us an answer. We can sum up that answer in one word. Providence. The answer to our angst, our desperation over where things are going, what's the purpose of it all, is providence. The providence, the foresight, the foreknowledge of God. The reformers, um, I don't know if you know who the reformers were, they were just men and women back in the 1500s and 1600s who took the Bible really seriously. The church was corrupt, and the way they wanted to reform the church was by getting back to God's word. So... In some ways, we are their great-great-great-grandchildren. They had uh, three technical words to describe this idea of providence. Preservation, government, concurrence. Okay, Preservation. God cares. He actually cares for everything he's made. He doesn't just wind the clock and then step back. He's constantly, actively caring, intervening, sustaining. God cares. Government. God has a plan. For what he's made. 
He doesn't just wind the clock, step back and go, okay, let's see how this plays out. No, he has a purpose. He has a goal. History actually is heading in a particular direction that God has intended. And finally, concurrence. God cares for his world and he moves it towards the goal that he has predetermined, but he does so using secondary means. He works through his creation. That's what we mean by providence. Preservation, government, concurrence. God cares. God plans. God executes his plan through his creation, through secondary means. Now, rather than me giving you a lecture on providence, which nobody wants, let me show you providence in action from Genesis 37. That's actually what we're going to be doing over the next few weeks. We're going to be looking at providence, God's providence, through the life of Joseph. And it's worth it. One of those reformers, John Calvin, said, Ignorance of providence is the greatest of all miseries. And the knowledge of providence is the highest happiness. Now, I don't know about you, but I want some of that highest happiness. So providence it is. We start here, Genesis 37. We don't get very far because we read in verse 1, and I noticed many of you have Bibles, which is a very, it's a great encouragement to the preacher, so please keep your Bibles open and let's work the text together. Verse 1, Jacob lived in the land of his father's sojournings, in the land of Canaan. Now that sounds pretty ordinary, but it's actually a massive statement. That is a massive statement. Who are we dealing with? Jacob. And the mention of his father immediately reminds us that Jacob is Isaac's son and Abraham's grandson. Where is he? He's in Canaan. He's in the promised land. Remember back in Genesis 12. Let me read it to you. You can go there if you want. Genesis 12, verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in all the families of the earth you shall be blessed. Verse 5, they set out to go to the land of Canaan. They set out for the promised land of blessing for Canaan. We jump back or forward chronologically to Genesis 37 verse 1. Where do we find Jacob? He's in Canaan. So surely the promise is about to be fulfilled. If we've been paying attention to the story, if we'd been reading through the story, we'd be thinking, Jacob's arrived. He's arrived. He's in the promised land. The blessings are going to flow. If you have been paying attention, you couldn't be blamed for expecting the next verse to say, and God's promise was fulfilled, the end. But it doesn't say that, does it? Why not? The Bible doesn't actually end in Genesis 37 verse 2. Why not? Well, let's find out. Verse 2. These are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was pasturing his flock, the flock with his brothers, his, his father's flock with his brothers. He was a boy with the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report of them, to their father. So this is the first family, the presidential family, if you like, the family of blessing, the family of the promise. And like all first families, they are completely dysfunctional. 
It's a polygamous family with a long history of rivalry between the wives. The patriarch's name is Jacob. So you have a first family headed by a man called Jacob. He has several wives. They don't get along. (laughs) I'll let you connect the dots. What else do we find in verse 2? Joseph is the son of Jacob's favorite wife, Rachel. So what does Joseph do? Joseph goes and he plays into that rivalry by ratting out his brothers, the brothers of his father's other wives. Bad report doesn't really get to the heart of it. The, The word is actually more like Joseph gave his father a report that was designed to make his brothers look bad. So he was playing into his father's favoritism. And Jacob, who's supposed to be leading this family fairly impartially, he clearly loves Joseph more than the others. Why? Well, because he was the son of his favored wife, and he was the baby. I mean, it's entirely arbitrary and completely destructive. The Bible speaks out repeatedly against this kind of favoritism. Fathers in the room. Where are the fathers? Just look at how our failure to lead in this area, in any area, can poison the whole family. Verse 4. But when his brothers saw that their father loved Joseph more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. So normal sibling rivalry has become hatred. It destroys the peace. There's no shalom. There's no wholeness. The cracks in this family are starting to show. The whole thing's starting to disintegrate. Doesn't exactly sound like blessing, does it? Then, Joseph has a dream. In fact, he has a pair of dreams. And in both dreams, his brothers and even his parents are bowing down to him. Now, just imagine this with me. You have ten older brothers, okay? They already hate you because you are daddy's boy. Then you have a couple of dreams about them groveling at your feet. What do you do with those dreams? (laughs) Let me suggest to you, you keep them under your hat. What does Joseph do? He doesn't just share them. He announces them. The word means to put a matter high, to make it conspicuous. Right? So it's as if they're at the dinner table. He taps on the glass. Can I have your attention, please? Can I have your attention? Um, Look, I've had two dreams. And basically in the dreams, you all end up worshipping me. So we can start with that now. I'm fine with that. I mean, do you see the folly of it? Do you see the youthful arrogance? The results are an absolute disaster. They hated him even more. They literally gathered up hatred for him. Verse 5. The name Joseph comes from the verb to gather. And this is what they are doing. They are gathering. They are Josephing, if you like. More hatred for him. It's another way of saying that Joseph is at fault here. Joseph is implicated in intensifying the hatred in this family. He's making things worse. He's making a festering wound more and more septic. Three times it says they hated him. And by verse 11, they are full of jealousy. He, Joseph, who's the hero of our story, is scattering the peace and gathering the hatred. It's a time bomb. How does uh, Jacob, 
who's the head of this family, and the child of God's blessing. How's he going to resolve all of this? Well, we pick it up in verse 13. And Israel, that's Jacob, said to Joseph, Are not your brothers pasturing the flock at Shechem? Come, I'll send you to them. And he said, Here I am. So he said to him, Now go now, see if it is well with your brothers and with the flock, and bring me word. So he sent him from the valley of Hebron, and he came to Shechem. Jacob doesn't have a clue. He sends his favorite son all alone to some distant, isolated place to face those who hate him. He actually says, go now and see if there is peace with your brothers. Now, of course, anyone who's reading the story, we, as the readers know, there's no peace there waiting for him. There's only jealousy and malice and hatred of the very worst kind. Jacob's missed all of that. He's an absent father. He might be present physically, but he is not there. He is not engaged intellectually, mentally, emotionally, probably too busy. And Joseph, he's just naive. It's that youthful arrogance again. Off he goes, he's no doubt expecting some sort of hero's welcome. But when he tracks them down, the moment they see him, their first thought is murder. Reuben, the eldest brother, intervenes. He convinces them not to shed his blood, which is going to cry out from the ground to God. Let's rather throw him in a pit to starve. It's all a cover story so that he could try and rescue Joseph. So verse 23, when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the robe of many colors that he wore, and they took him and threw him into a pit. The pit was empty. There was no water in it. Then they sat down to eat. When he arrived, it is he arrives, it's quick and it's brutal. They strip him of his favored status. They throw him in a pit to starve. They sit down to enjoy a packed lunch. I mean, it's callous. It's hard-hearted, isn't it? Imagine it. You throw your brother to an agonizing death in a hole in the desert. And then you sit down to enjoy a fig jam sandwich. While he is still crying for mercy from the hole. The human heart invents ways of doing evil. Judah takes it a step further. Some traders are passing. He sees a gap, a gap in the markets. Why kill him when we can make a little cash on the side? So they lift him out. Now imagine, imagine how Joseph feels at this point. They're lifting him out of the hole. He thinks it's all a practical joke. All's forgiven. Because you had me there. Until he sees the slave traders. And then he realizes that what he thought was his rescue is in fact a fate even worse than death. He's being sold into slavery. Verse 29, they drew Joseph up, they lifted him out of the pit, they sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. They, the Ishmaelites, took Joseph to Egypt. In the original, Joseph is mentioned here three times because this is a major turning point in the story. Here is the favorite son of Jacob, the heir to God's blessing, the one who's going to inherit the promise. He's being sold into slavery. He is exiting the promised land, the land of God's blessing. He's heading into Egypt and all of it for 20 shekels of silver. It seems like the promise has been sold out for small change. The coppers in the console next to the gear shift. It's desperate. But there's something even worse than the crime. 
the coverer. It's the part we, towards the end of the story, we didn't get to read it all. The brothers come up with a plan to cover their guilt. They slaughter a goat. Then they take the symbol, that coat of many colors. They take the symbol of their father's love for his beloved son. They rub it in the blood. And they take it, they give it to Jacob, that bloody robe, they give it to Jacob. They let their own father draw the conclusion that his beloved son has been ravaged by a wild animal. I mean, how cruel can you get? The story ends with an inconsolable Jacob wishing himself dead in his grief. While Joseph is as good as dead on his way to a life of slavery in Egypt. Whatever happened to the promise? What happened to blessing? Looks like Jacob and his family are under a curse. And of course they are. They are under the curse of Adam. Jacob was in the land. Back to 37 verse 1. He's in the land. He's in Canaan. But something is standing in the way of blessing. And that something was sin. And it's curse. Now we tend to romanticize these stories, but this is as ugly and as heavy as it gets. We read later on in the story that Joseph actually begged his brothers from the bottom of that pit. His soul was in distress and he begged them for mercy. He begged them for mercy, but they wouldn't listen. And of course we know that Joseph wasn't innocent, was he? Neither was his father. In fact, that whole family was wrecked with sin and strife. What have we seen? We've seen slander, favoritism, hatred, jealousy, murder, greed, greed, deceit, cruelty. It's heavy. It sounds a lot like South Africa in 2018. Think back to your family gathering over Christmas. Not entirely different to what we read here, I imagine. I'm taking it that no one was sold into slavery, but not entirely different. The jealousy, the strife. The story is heavy because it's so real. It ends on a hopeless note, and it's leaving us asking, what is it all for? That question we always come back to. What is it all for? What's the point? And we have to say, if we're honest, not much. Except, it's not quite the end, is it? Have a look at Genesis 39 verse 1. Now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had brought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. And then these words, the Lord was with Joseph. The Lord was with Joseph. Those five words change the complexion of the whole story. When we ponder those words, they force us to go back and read again with new eyes. And when we do, we realize that the Lord was actually with Joseph all along. Our first clue was the, was the two dreams. We read in Genesis 41 verse 32, a little bit later in the story, the doubling of the dream means that the thing is fixed by God and God will shortly bring it about. In other words, providence. 
government. God has a plan. He has a plan. None of this is by chance. None of this, not even the sin, is outside of God's control. God is not directly responsible for the sin. The Bible makes that very clear. But the sin cannot undermine or undercut his plans. It cannot thwart his purposes. We see sinners in our story. We see sinners trying to set themselves up against the plans of God. We know from verse 8, that back to chapter 37, verse 8, that Joseph's brothers hated him for his dreams. And then we read this in verse 20. It's, these are striking words. Just listen to this verse 20. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. Then we will say that a fierce animal has devoured him. And here are the interesting words. And we will see what will become of his dreams. We will see what will become of his dreams. What are they doing? Those dreams belong to God. They are setting themselves, unwittingly perhaps, but they are setting themselves up against the will of God. Let's see what becomes of God's plans. Now we're going to find out over the next couple of weeks how that pans out. Spoiler alert. I'm not going to give it away, but I'm pretty sure you can guess who wins that arm wrestle. Once we understand that God was with Joseph in Egypt, we see that he was there all along. We read that this whole messy, sordid saga with new eyes. We see the hand of God everywhere. His fingerprints are everywhere, using sin for his own purposes. Just a few examples. Joseph, Jacob sends Joseph to his brothers against all the rules of common sense. Joseph goes off willingly, happily, naively. He bumps into a man wandering in a, in a field who just happens to be the very man who had overheard his brothers saying that they were going to Dothan. When Joseph is as good as dead, Reuben intervenes to win a stay of execution. And then there's the timely arrival of some traders who just happen to be passing by who then rescue him from starvation in a hole in the desert. The Lord was with Joseph. Those words change the way we see everything. We come to see that the thing driving the strange twists and turns in this story is not chance or fate or even a corrupt human will. Sin. The thing driving the twists and turns in this story is the providence of God. On the first reading, we see a family torn apart by sin. Joseph is carried off out of the promised land. The blessing is lost. The curse has won. But the Lord was with Joseph. On the second reading, we see another force at play. Another character behind the scenes, guiding, moving, overruling, leading, arranging, organizing. Using even the sin of this very, very broken family. This family so much like our own families. To achieve his purposes. And what are those purposes? We know God wants to bless his people and then bless the world through them. And yet sin stands in the way.